these submission rituals that you see within these, you know, BDSM communities and stuff like that, very similar rituals sort of co-evolved in many religious communities. Mm. You know, whether you're talking about, you know, ultra-Orthodox Jewish Teflon, Catholic Opus Dei, like whipping thing and stuff like that. And I don't think that any of this is because these cultures have been influenced by sexual cultures. Yeah. I think it's that both represent extreme forms of submission and that extreme forms of submission, whether they be to masturbate a feeling instinct or to show supplication to... A, a genuine great power are going to have some degree of co-evolution. Would you like to know more? So you guys might know this from our other content. I'll, I'll talk while, while you're getting ready. But that we don't use heating in our house in the winter because we believe in extreme frugality, like suffering edifies the spirit, everything like that, you know? But or, last year when she wasn't pregnant, she was wearing a Russian that she bought from like somewhere in Siberia where she could get cheap. You know what I'm going to do? I am going to... <laughs> I'm going to share a picture with our audience because this is just too much. But what she has done, and you can talk a bit how you came to this. You know, we're talking about pragmaxing in life. What you did is you said, okay, so first, you know, where do people live in really cold environments? And then you got these, these, these so suits that make you look like a, somebody should be called Natasha, like a James Bond villain or something. And now, because you're pregnant, you can't wear them anymore. And so she's like, okay, when did people have to deal with pregnancy and cold environments without heating? And so she went back and took inspiration from medieval outfits. And I'd love it if you could talk a bit about how your layering process works with this. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. I, I think this is much better maternity wear. One, because actually when you go back to, I mean, before the Industrial Revolution, everyone just kind of wore the same outfit all the time. So your outfit had to grow with you. If you got fatter, if you got thinner, it would have to grow with you or shrink with you. If you got pregnant, it would have to grow or shrink with you. So I was like, oh, yeah then probably the best clothing I should wear if I'm changing sizes is clothing from a different age. And so for the winter to stay warm, I'm basically wearing like thermal underwear and over that I'm wearing a chemise and I have a, like, I guess you could say it's kind of like a, a corset or stays and then a long skirt and then a really heavy full coat and it just feels great. So I think it's, much better maternity wear than the gross stuff that most women are forcing themselves to wear while they get larger. And a great thing about this is you can wear it pregnancy after pregnancy and year after year and day yeah. after day, because this is a type of clothing that's designed to be worn almost every day. Yeah, it's super durable. It's very practical and it's extremely comfortable. So highly recommend it. With just changing out the underlayer, obviously. But okay, so... I am going to prime you with something that happened to me at this art conference we went to, which mm. is like a conservative Davos thing that was hosted by like Jordan Peterson and Louise Perry. Anyway, in the UK, the conservatives are quite different than the conservatives in the US. They are more like small C conservatives and the feminist side of the movement is much, much bigger there because TERFs make mm. up a big part of the conservative movement out there. Anyway, so I was talking to them about, oh, you know, the IVF, artificial wombs, stuff like that. And this one woman just lost it. She goes, what? Artificial wombs are the most evil thing ever. If we have artificial wombs, what's even the point of women? Nothing could be more anti-feminist than artificial wombs. Hold on. Wait. A feminist woman thought that the only point of women was gestation? Well, keep in mind, and this is actually really interesting. So these women in this conservative movement, they have a very conservative view of what a woman's role is have kids care for the home care for the kids right is that feminist well it's not 
this is turf feminism. It's a little okay. different from what we see. It's a female focused agenda, but and 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 excuse me, Simone. This is a good win for women. Women really talk themselves out of a pretty good position. Today, we're like, oh, it's so anti-feminist to say women shouldn't have to work and just stay at home all day with modern appliances caring for like two measly kids. Yeah, in um, a modern age, in a modern age, the idea of, of women as gestational managers and parents is actually pretty cush. I mean, in the in the old age, like in in the ages of the clothing yeah. that I, I'm like mocking, you know, women died at childbirth at really high rates it was actually a pretty risky profession <laughs> yeah we, we've repeatedly seen this from women in this this aspect of the conservative movement you know just horrified by by artificial wombs making mm -hmm. women less necessary in the way that they define what womanhood is and this moment was really interesting to me because what it demonstrated to me like i was just trying to like think about actually what her mindset must be to be worried about this yeah which is to say yeah, we could, with artificial wombs, create a society in which you don't need women at all. But why is that a bad thing? Like, you, woman, you can have boys. You know that, right? Like, and these boys are part you, right? It showed to me that she identified more with her gender than with her culture or family line or even own children. Well, but it also demonstrates a, a pretty significant amount of hatred towards women, because if you think that the only reason women are kept relevant in society is because they have gestational gatekeeping ability, that and that when that goes away, when when basically men no longer have to depend on women for wombs, the assumption is that like women will completely lose their position in society implies that she doesn't think women have any other value that like they don't oh, contribute hold on. these ideas that. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to hit you with something that you have told me before uh -oh. um, because you have said something that counteracted this before. You agreed okay. with a friend of ours who said this. OK, where she was like, you know, with trans people sometimes being able to do femininity much better than women. Yeah. What's even the point of women anymore? Yeah. And this was the context of like, OK, if you and this is true, like when I hear that somebody, a woman in Silicon Valley is running a successful startup. Yeah. The first question I'm always going to be like, you mean a trans woman, right? Or when <laughs> I hear a woman in Silicon Valley has a really high like coding position at Google, it's like, you mean a trans woman, right? And it's almost it's like 70% of the time, they're like, oh yeah, 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 trans woman. And one of the things that you had pointed out about trans women is that when they are in a, a privileged position of, of being able to pass, they can focus much more on feminine displays than even women can because women have never seen things from the other perspective or been able to study it as critically and clinically. Well, and, and also like when it comes to many of the things that women sort of struggle with, like weight or like there there's some builds that like basically someone starting from i don't know a male blank or a male starting point you can actually have a really great look as a female when you like switch over to that so it's really hard for a woman to compete with her like you know depending on the look you're going for like you know i feel like i've gross thunder thighs and i would much prefer like men's legs to to be honest like so like i think a lot of women are also like looking really jealously she really doesn't by the way the she lean, has great legs the lean slender bodies of of men that transition successfully and are just you know like insanely jealous but yeah i mean yeah i i do think it's it's hard for for women to compete with some but i mean i i think that's also just a really pessimistic view of the value that women can bring to the table like 
So errant thought here that I'd never really had before. Trans women often have hobby interests, and I'm not saying always, but often have hobby interests that are much more in line with men's hobby interests. So when I meet a woman in a heavily male-dominated genre of hobbies, like collecting guns or Warhammer or obscure video games or other ultra-nerdy pursuits, they are disproportionately trans women. If we're taking the perspective that trans women are actually women who were born into men's bodies, this seems incongruous with that perspective. Okay, so I'm asking you objectively. Objectively speaking, okay? So we're talking about the ways that women are different from men. Yeah. What are the things you think that on average women do better than men? And with each of these things, judge whether if you got rid of one gender, society would be worse off. Go. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not the most pro-woman <laughs> person out there. I'm, so my problem is like all the, the women friends that I, I like most are probably on the spectrum and, and thereby are, are kind of less female in many ways because they don't do a lot of the social games that I can't handle. And I, I find interacting with like traditionally like hormonally normal neurotypical women is it, it's really stressful. So I'm not the best. So you have antagonism towards neurotypical women more broadly. <laughs> well, I, I think my problem is that like, I, I want to interact with people who speak plainly, who, who say what they feel and are straightforward about things. And with, with many neurotypical women that both you and I interact with, I feel like I, I cannot win because I don't speak their language and they're yeah. playing a game and I'm not. And then somehow I'm insulting them by not playing this game. And that's really stressful for me. And then I, you know, I feel like we've lost some friends because of that, because I can't play their games. And that makes me really sad because we've known a lot of cool people that then I can't be friends with. And so I, I miss all my, you know, but with that being the case, wouldn't our cultural group be better if we were all men? So I don't, I don't, and think- I, I don't believe this myself. I'm just asking hypothetically. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I, I'm looking at two. When you said that, I, I sort of viewed two realities. One, I, I viewed like the free radical problem, you know, sort of like a lot of like high testosterone, uncoupled men who are like, you know, just high risk, high rewards. It's just like sort of, you know, complete anarchy, violence, you know, just just a mess, right? Like, I don't I don't like that. You know, I, I don't really want the Bronze Age mindset reality of, you know, raiding and everything, which... I guess is actually less fun when there are no women to open pillage, right? But whatever. And then I view the other the other world, which is just like complete gay anarchy, just like orgies, like super hot men everywhere. And then I'm like, oh, okay, like gay world. This sounds really fun. Like sign sign me up for that. This, yeah, I mean, this... presumably you'd be able to control people's sexuality in this world. Yeah, and I feel like a, a world full of gay men is a happier and more functional, lower drama world than than yeah, a, world. a world full of gay men is a lower drama world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's drama, but it's not toxic dr- drama as much, if you know what I mean. Uh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I just thought that was a funny <laughs> statement. Come on. Um, here's another path we could go. Something yeah. that it came up in the Razib episode that we shared recently, and we've talked about in a few episodes, is the concept of the Tylaxio and Oxyodal tanks, right? Uh-huh. 
which is you wouldn't even need oxyadol tanks. You could just replace women with artificial. Define women. for our audience oxyadol tanks and uh, the it's, it's it's essentially degraded. If you're looking at the original series and not the weird things his, his son wrote in the Dune universe, it's what happened to the females of the Tylexu population. Like like and not individual females. These are genetically engineered beings that are based on a female template that are meant to make artificial wombs easier to operate through connecting to like their bloodstream and their original reproductive system but they just use them to churn out lots of people they don't have you know sentience or much consciousness they're just sort of like blobs connected to tanks now alternatively the tylexu men are designed to look more like i'd say older children so let's say people who are like 15 or something like that kind of like elfish and a little impish so the idea being is that if you have this much control over the future like and you're choosing an iteration of male that you are freezing us at or an iteration of female would you freeze us at young men or would you freeze us at old men because you talk about this like bronze age pervert world obviously you're not going to get a bronze age pervert world if you have like a bunch of sociopathic high iq 15 year old men I mean, I don't know. Like, largely been sterilized. Ah, uh, like they don't—they um, don't feel sexuality at all. Yeah. So, like, so what is what is the ideal? Well, I mean, I, okay, I'll ask the question a different way. Okay. What if we just got rid of sexuality altogether? Like, if you would you do you think like an iteration of humanity would be better if you bred them to not have any sexual drives at all? You know, I think sexuality really doesn't, and this sounds stupid to say now that I'm saying it, but doesn't play that huge of a role. I mean, I think it's sexual dimorphism that plays a bigger role in, in just sort of the day-to-day -day way that men and, and women react differently to scenarios that, that women are, are reacting based on very different internal models, based on different, on average, tendencies than men. And, That's true. You know, this, this, and obviously sex drive is huge, especially for men with high levels of testosterone less so for women on average. It shows up in different ways, of course, you know, more like dominant submission interest, which of course can also play into the politics that freak me out so much and make me less yeah. comfortable around women, right? But I, I think it's those issues and, and not necessarily sexuality, which is something that actually came up in our book a lot that like, in the end, so much of sex is not at all about sex. It's about how you view yourself. It's about your, your identity. It's about how you're validating yourself. But the actual act itself is is kind of, I agree with everything you're saying was one caveat. Okay. I think a lot of female behavior, even the stuff that's not just like born gendered, is heavily influenced by their capacity as gatekeepers of sexual access to the extent that it's not sex itself that is causing this. It's just the way that, that human females are born. Yeah, that causes the limiting factor. Yeah. And them being gatekeepers of sexual access gives them within open sexual marketplaces, or at least attractive women or women as a group, uh, inordinate political power. I mean, I think that that's actually the big thing that women have used to their advantage within our existing political system. Only insofar as men have sex drives. And I think actually this is changing a lot. Mm, I yeah, think, good point. You know, as we're sort of entering an age of more sexless men and men who are just like, yeah, you know what? not going to care that much. Women are losing a lot of that power and that, and that dynamic is changing. So I don't know if that is as true today and certainly tomorrow as it may yeah. have been 20, 30, 50 years ago. Oh, oh yeah. A lot of women screech over, over this. I, I, I also think that this is something worth pointing out from a male perspective as well. And I, I just want to mm -hmm. talk about like how insane it is because there are men who do this, who identify more with their gender 
then they identify with their cultural group or children or parents or people or yeah. country. Gender should be like such a low thing on the things you identify with. Now, I can understand why people identify with it, right? There, I think a core reason is, is we have like strong drives and strong cultural precedent, precedent when we're growing up, like in our 20s, when we're determining who we are, what we think of ourselves, to find a partner. And the challenges that you face in finding a partner are going to be heavily, heavily, heavily gendered. And through that, you will communicate and engage heavily with communities that are going to be heavily gendered and primarily complaining about the opposite gender, which mm -hmm. is going to cause this level of identification during many individuals' formative years. It's just, I think, important that people like approach this with some sanity. Like, yes, things may be unfair for your gender. I get that, you know, but at the end of the day, as, as my favorite movie that we use in every episode here at the beginning says, uh, we're in this for the species, boys and girls. It's simple numbers. They have more. And this is what we talk about the, the enemies of, of, of pernatalism is, is that if you want to exist in the future, you've got to find a way to make it work with the other gender. And it's hard. It's hard, right? And, yeah. and, and things are unfair now. But I think approaching everyone from the opposite gender as if they're like an alien species and totally heartless is really going to create problems. Now, I am saying this as a complete hypocrite because I just sat here with a wife who already said, yeah, I think so much more like a guy than a girl that like actually girls scare me and I'm afraid to interact with them. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that much like guys either. I just, I think like a blank, but. <laughs> a mentat, I, if we're going with Dune references here. <laughs> yeah, mentat uh. thinking. Because, you know, guys think super differently too. It's just that guys think in a much more straight forward and transparent way and there there aren't as many mind games and like hidden grudges and, and terrifying like back channel things going on so god you know unless you're a man in dune by the way you know unless you're you know what is it harkonnen yeah harkonnen like, yes they're um, like the women of the dune universe cannot i mean they're great but stressful yeah i i just okay. don't know i i feel like so I'm gonna I'm gonna present you with a different idea here. I think okay. if you took sexuality out of humanity, if you took gender out of humanity, okay. a lot of motivation for I think many parts of humanity that people extol as the highest parts of humanity, like art and music and culture, would disappear. Yeah, um, yeah. In fact, we often mention I often mention the Futurama episode on robosexuality, which would point it out that when men could just date robots instead of women, the motivation for you know it was like art music and then it showed men not being able to date other men theater disappeared and what is what is that weapon with two rocks and a string in between where the rocks use their momentum to throw each other forward there, oh, a flail types of flails but you're generally talking about a flail yes okay so i think men and women act like a flail we're like there's tension between them but flying through the air one oh, gives you're talking about a bola Ebola? Yeah, okay. You know, the, the... Sorry, I thought you were talking about a flail is two balls tied to the end of a stick. Ebola no. is two balls connected by a string that's used yes. for tripping people. That's yeah. what I'm, yes, that's what I'm talking about. My like, brain, useless knowledge of weapons I'll never know. Use. <laughs> I'm glad you play as many video games as no, you do. Well, the funny, well, I don't know, like, Bola from video games. It's not used that frequently, but I love that, that, that guys would be like, these are things that literally every human in the world knows what they are, Ebola yeah. and a flail. No, and yet, yeah. I, I bet like 50% of women have no idea. 
I mean, I knew what it was. I didn't know its name, but I I do feel like there's this tension and interplay between men and women. But, you know, you and I have the same philosophy about cultures. We really think that variation and competition and tension are incredibly useful. The disagreement is incredibly useful. The different mindsets are incredibly useful. Yeah. So we would be against the idea. I mean, if anything, we would like there to be more genders than fewer genders. If anything, we should be like thrilled that there are all these additional weird genders. I think our only problem with them is we think that they're performative rather than real. If they were real and they actually did contribute genuinely different perspectives, we would be stoked. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a, an interesting point. Yeah. And, and could that lead to more art? If you had more genders in more of a relationship drives other than just sex and, and romance. Yeah. Like what if we lived in the Omega universe, the Omega verse? Um, oh my god! This, this, this women's fantasy universe where there are there are what alphas, betas, and omegas. So yes. There are like three genders, and it it creates and they're all, all this... male basically. So the I, I, okay, I'm going to see if I can remember this. So they all <laughs> present male, and alphas mate with betas. And when an alpha mates with a beta, the beta like they they latch like a dog does. We're like they're nodding. Genitals... Is that what it's called? Nodding, nodding, nodding. Yes. And they have to like stay together until they finish and they like have these like heat periods and stuff like that. And then like omegas can like transform into an alpha when they're around a beta or transform into a beta when they're around an alpha, depending on like what they're interested in in the moment. And it transforms the ways they relate sexually and like heat cycles and stuff like that. I strongly suggest if you're, if this sounds at all interesting to you, well, we can do another episode where, where I prep on it beforehand and remember uh, actually all of this universe because I find this fascinating. It is fascinating. In the Gorian world, I we could also include that. Right. That's, that's really interesting as well. This is a world just for people who are interested. So there's these people who went and asked, okay, well, I think, you know, women seem to have this this desire to be submissive in in relationships and males seem to be more likely to have this desire to be dominant in relationships and like a normal person would be like okay well let's like try to craft like a new way to have like dominant men or something like that they were like no 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 no. let's just go back to the way we did this historically and people would be like oh you mean like a traditional like taken in hand marriage <laughs> and they're like no 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 i mean like i want conan the barbarian world yeah like a, a like a 1980s or 1970s sci-fi traditional <laughs> Yeah, where like they dance for men in their their outfits and stuff like that as like part of like mating rituals and then do like bows and stuff. And there's all these rituals for how they interact because they they wanted this world of submission, dominance, and tons of rituals, but they didn't remember enough of our historic rituals. So they just like borrowed them from this Conan like book series. Yeah, yeah. Like basically this this sci-fi series was the basis of what then became a weird, I guess you could say somewhat BDSM, but a, m- a lot more intense subculture, which pretty much has disappeared. But there's, you can still find some like old forum it, archives. It was important in the days it. of the early internet. Yeah. And, and, and keep in mind, this is something that really like women got excited about. The people yeah. who are posting a lot are the women who are in these Gorian relationships who are enslaved to their master husbands. And I, I think, you know, ultimately the guys who were agreeing to this probably like a decent percentage of them, maybe 60% were, were probably a little put upon to have to do all this. Cause it, it was like arbitrage plays. 
Well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work. True. You'd have to, like, you'd have to, you know, ritually, like, beat her up and, you know, like, do the rituals and all this stuff and, like, know all the rules. And I think for a lot of guys, they're like, dude, I just, I just want you to be happy and I want you to love me. Whereas, like, when you're doing one of these, like, like big time ritualized taken in hand BDSM complicated instructions kind of relationships. I don't think that's what most guys really want. I think most guys just want a supportive wife who loves them. And then it's yeah. this is a lot of work. So this is what they're having productive. to do to get even a, a simulacrum of that. Right. Um, I, 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 I love it's like guys are like, Oh yeah, I want a wife who's submissive and breedable. I, I want a submissive and breedable cat girl wife. And then they get one of these 24 seven cat cosplay w w women you know, who's like, I want a 24 seven cat relationship. And they're like, okay, well, I actually am not that cool with you walking on all fours all the time. And yeah, I have to can, like, can we just like food. play video games and order pizza, please? Yeah. 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 These, these types of relationships are actually an incredible amount of work to maintain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think they're mostly for the submissive person. Like in, in oh, the yeah. vast majority of cases, it seems that these relationships really are for the benefit of the submissive partner because really it's it's all about kind of pleasing them and keeping them in line and i feel bad for the dominant partners who are put upon yeah i, I was looking at a 4chan post not long ago and some guy was like you know why do we even like do these things for our girlfriends when a girlfriend is just a b-i-t-c-h that we you know sucks our ex at times and we sleep with yeah we we f and a lot of young guys, I think they enter communities and they think that by saying things like this, they are signaling that they are like high status males. <laughs> and it's like, we know that almost no guy actually wants a girl like that. Like us guys, I'm sorry. We know that you're probably 14 or 16 between that age range if you're making claims like that, because very few guys actually want that. Most guys just want somebody to uh, care for them. And when they do want weird sexual stuff, they want it in an incredibly isolated scenario. They, they, they don't want it to be part of their daily existence. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't make you look cool to say that. Like what I think when somebody says that is like, Oh, so you're like a Gorian or something. Like you plan to have like a 24 seven, like taken in hand relationship where you're, you're, you're having to put up with all of these crazy rituals for this woman that you found because you convinced yourself that that's what you needed to do to be a dominant male. So stressful. Yeah. But I don't even, I don't, I don't think the vast majority of those men in those relationships, any sort of like really heavy dominance relationship of this sort of like the weird nerdy sorts yeah. um, wanted to do it to be tough. I think they did it because a hot woman or a woman that was like of sufficiently competitive value to them really wanted it. And They're all the weird nerdy sort. Yeah. They, they were all the weird nerdy. I'm sorry. I look at Andrew Tate playing with his sword. He's a nerd. He's a hyper nerd. Um, he's a, yeah, he's a nerd, but he, I think he he just loves he just loves being dominant. And I think he does. He he is one of those few people who yeah. is maintaining frame in a relationship because that is what he lives by. It is it is like truly his identity. He wakes up in frame. He goes to sleep in frame. Like he is frame again. Like he's a rare. Yeah, exception I think though. he believes the quality of his life is the the, the effectiveness with which he's maintaining frame within relationships. Like that is what makes him a valuable person. I just, I no, I think like hormonally, he doesn't, he couldn't do it any other way. I don't think no, this I is. I disagree with that strongly. Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 think, I, I think, I think self perception wise, he couldn't do it another way. He has built up this self perception 
I think if I look at the way that he structured relationships and stuff like that, he actually shows a lot of creativity. Like he has like an interesting poly relationship where like his brother and him share a group of girls that live in like a house together. Like that is incredibly creative. Do they that share is... the women or do they just have women at a shared compound though? My understanding is they share the same women. Oh, wow. But they're um, brothers. Yeah. So that's kind of traditional and kind of not, huh? Yeah, no, I, I, and as you've, you've said, tater tots before, I just got to remember tater that. Tots. The house is filled with little tater tots, yeah. little tater baby. Cute little uh, pattern feet. Thing. Yeah, no, I, I think it is hard to engage any of these. And, and this is why I think they are all nerds, right? When you engage with a differential sexual subculture, that's not just going along one of the traditional religious pathways. Hmm. You are going to, you are going to differentiate from mainstream society. And through differentiating from mainstream society, you will justly earn the title of nerd or weirdo or something like that. A really interesting thing that we can bring up in this video, we bring it up in our book. It's probably one of our most, <coughs> I think, spiciest points, but people don't really dig into this that much, is that these submission rituals that you see within these you know, BDSM communities and stuff like that, very similar rituals sort of co-evolved in many religious communities. Mm. You know, whether you're talking about, you know, ultra-Orthodox Jewish Teflon, which to me <laughs> just looks like, anyway, but it's where they wrap tightly leather around their arms and stuff like that. Yeah, if you're not familiar with it as an outsider, you're like, whoa, is this a sex thing? This looks like a sex thing. Yeah. Another one would be like the Catholic Opus Dei, like whipping thing and stuff like that. And I don't think that any of this is because these cultures have been influenced by sexual cultures. Yeah. I think it's that both represent extreme forms of submission and that extreme forms of submission, whether they be to masturbate a feeling instinct or to show supplication to a, a genuine great power are going to have some degree of co-evolution, but it just looks very odd as somebody who likes studying both communities and is separated from both communities to an extent. Yeah. So do we need women? Not for gestation, not for making us happy, but for providing tension. Well, yes. okay. I wanted to provide tension. I think to provide motivation to men. I think as a guy, I would have a much harder time motivating myself if I wasn't. But why do men it. like women? I don't know. That's an interesting question. Like, why do I find it easier? Here's why. More immediate feedback. So I can work every day to try to make the world a better place or something like that, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. But I don't see immediate rewards for that. In fact, most of the world, you know, just hates me for it, right? Because anybody who's trying to change things is almost axiomatically undermining the existing power structure in the world, which is not in the best interest of those who are at the top rungs of that power structure. So they are going to attack me as evil. And okay. that is what I get every day. And so I have to come home and I see your pride in me standing up for my moral values. And I see you telling me, you know, how much you appreciate, how much work I'm putting into things and everything like that. And that appreciation is, I think something that like at a biological level, I am 
cued into. And this is, I think, why I say when guys are looking for a girl, the number one thing you're looking for is actually gratitude. Admiration, appreciation. Well, gratitude, the ability to have genuine gratitude for the things you do for them. Because do you not, not think that like Andrew Tate and his brother Tristan and their like circle of friends are not supportive of each other? I mean, they, they may express it using different mannerisms, but I, I think that they're it, I, extremely supportive of each other. I, I know, and I, and I mean this in a completely non-derogatory way. I want to highlight this. But like, if I did something for my brother's approval, it would feel real gay to me. And I don't mean this in like a gay is bad sense. I just mean something about doing something to make somebody else like proud of me. If that person is a guy, I don't know. It feels sexual in a way. But not with a women, uh, woman, which is the, the gender to which you personally are attracted. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, so, so what I guess I'm saying and what I guess I'm realizing here is something about the desire to make you proud of the person I'm being day to day is sexual in nature. Oh. Or is coded sexually in my brain because uh -huh. when I think about doing that for a guy, you're it's like, like mm -hmm. that feels a little gay. In the same way, you know, it reminds me of Pulp Fiction when he's like, you know, would you give a one of your male friends a foot rub? Because <laughs> the guy said the foot rub's not sexual at all. And he's like, no, I wouldn't. And he's like, well, then it is sexual, isn't it? Hmm. Anyway, I love you to death, Simone. And thank you for the role you play in immediate feedback and appreciating who I'm being in the world. And this is also why we say the most important thing when you marry someone. So I talk about the skill, the the, the trait, gratitude. But when you're marrying somebody, what you're actually asking is not who is that person, but is who does that person want me to become? And are they able to help me become that person? Because if they wanted me, if Simone wanted me to become somebody who I didn't want to become, that would be terrible, right? Like, she, I'm just married to her. I have to live as me. And yet she transforms me so much. And I love some guys will be like, oh, that's such a beta thing to say that your wife influences you and that you care what she thinks of you. And it's like, you, you don't look tough saying that. Like, I understand in your little community, you might think that that's a status symbol, but in the real world, that doesn't look like a status symbol. It makes it look like you don't have anyone who cares about you. Yeah, <laughs> Which is not the flex you might think it is. Love it. Anyway, love, love, love you, it. Simone. And have a wonderful day. You too, husband.